Hello, Homestead Church podcast audience. Jeff Kerr here with the Monday day after sermon edition of our uh, start of a new sermon series called Heart, Soul, Mind, Strength. Uh, we had a recording error yesterday in church. We had a great morning at church. By the way, if you listen to this and you'd love to come visit us in Farmington Sunday mornings, uh, we'd love to have you. You can check out all the details of our service times, homesteadcommunitychurch.org. Uh, but we had a recording error yesterday, so I'm giving you the Monday morning uh, redo, sermon-wise. Um, we're going to be doing a, probably a five-week series called Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. And uh, really that series comes out of Deuteronomy. When God was giving the law to the Israelites, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we wanted to dive into that. We had an uh, incident in the Kerr family, which kind of uh, was a good illustration of this series. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were doing our uh, usual loads of laundry, trying to keep up with four kids and a house full of six people and all the laundry it generates. And all of a sudden, this was probably the week before Christmas, uh, we recognized the washing machine was not working. Now, I'm going to give you a couple details about this scenario, and then any of you who are married, you probably know how this conversation went down in the Kerr house. Um, we have had this washer and dryer for about 17 years, so they have uh, they've lived a good life. But I also have a service plan, a, a service repair plan through our utility company, which covers a lot of appliance repairs. So when a 17-year-old washing machine breaks, um, inevitably what happens in our house is Christy thinks, oh good, finally we're going to get a new washing machine after 17 years. Um, and that's not unreasonable. 17 years is great. My thought is this, oh good, I have a service plan and we'll get this old one fixed for free. Um, so I made an appointment and uh, Christy and I had the discussion and ultimately I said, you know what, if it is too much to fix this or it's beyond repair. I have no problem getting a new washer. It's 17 years old, you know, it's probably time. But let's at least see, let's at least see what the repair guy says. So I made an appointment and because it was Christmas and New Year's, the earliest he could get here was four days ago, last Thursday. So leading up to that time, um, I start looking at washing machines online and see that, you know, we can get a similar model for about 500 bucks, five to $600. And I say, okay, that's not ideal, but that's not the end of the world. Christy, of course, sees, now they make, you know, she sees the new Samsung matching set, washer, dryer, smart technology, front loading, um, high efficiency, you know, all, all these things. I can turn it on and off with my cell phone because that's obviously really important. Alexa can turn it on and off just when we say it. You know, stuff like that where she thinks this is essential. I think, yeah, maybe not so much. Anyways, what happened was last Thursday, the repair guy was on his way. So uh, Christy is at work. I was at home and I thought I got to clear out around the washer so he can get in there. And I noticed underneath, if you've ever looked underneath your washing machine, especially after 17 years, it's no good under there. So I found a bunch of old socks. I even found an old flip flop that I had been missing for a couple of summers. Um, so I tried to clean that up. And then the guy showed up. I wanted to clean it up because I never like it when outsiders see how we really live in the Kerr house. So uh, we got it worked out. I got it cleaned up a bit. The, the repair guy came in and he started looking around and 
I left him alone, but every once in a while I'd peek into the kitchen, through the kitchen into the laundry room and see. And he was, you know, had the whole thing apart and he was pulling out more socks. All I saw was him finding more socks underneath the, the washer. And then a few minutes later, after about a half an hour total, I hear the washing machine working. It was running. And I walked in there and I said, wow, you, you got it working. That's great. He said, well, I got bad news. Um, you lost a sock. And I said, what do you mean? I said, it looks like we lost about a thousand socks under that thing. He's like, no, what happened was it was the load was too full and a sock kind of went up around the washing basin around the side and then got s sucked into the pump. And that's what stopped the pump from working. And I couldn't get the sock out. So instead, I just replaced the pump and it was all free. And uh, I was like, wow, can I keep the pump? And he said, sure. So I still have it. I actually used it as an illustration yesterday in church. Um, you can still see the sock stuck in there. Well, what's the point of me telling this washing machine story? Other than another instance when my wife's hopes and dreams were dashed by my frugal nature, by my penny-pinching ways. Um, the point is, when something breaks, if you're talking about a car or a washing machine, something like that, it's broken, but it's just a part of it that's broken. There's a reason it's broken. Something needs to be fixed. There's a, it's not a metaphorical, well, I guess we'll just never have to do laundry again. I guess this is how life is going to be. No, there's just, there was a connection that wasn't working. There was a part of it that's not working. Or you loaded it too full of socks and a sock got stuck in the pump. There's a reason it's not working. Well, as I was approaching the new year, looking at my own life, looking back over the last year, as many of you have done, um, I looked at way too many times where I, my approach to my life was just resigned defeat. I was thinking, well, life is just happening to me, and these bad things are happening to me, or this part of my life isn't working right, and it's just the way it's going to be. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, I... There's times where I would feel like uh, like my life was just happening to me rather than I was living it or leading it. And so often in our lives, it's we treat it the same way. We think, well, something's wrong, something's not working, and we resign ourselves to think, well, this is just how it's going to be. And now I know our lives, our minds, our bodies are infinitely more complex than a whirlpool washing machine. But so often with our life, the same thing applies. The whole thing's not broken. There's just part of it that needs to be fixed. There's a connection that's not working right. Something is worn down. Life is too full and it's breaking down. And maybe if this is you, it could be that you have allowed negative or flawed ways of thinking to become habitual. Maybe you are medicating or distracting yourself instead of dealing with the root cause of some hurt or some trauma that's happened to you. Maybe you're carrying around bitterness, and that bitterness is infecting your whole life. Maybe you don't realize the very thing that you're using to distract or to medicate your heart or your soul or your mind are the very thing that is causing you to feel this way. It could be that you're filling your mind and your body with garbage and wondering why neither is working right. The point of this series that we're doing is this. We are leading our lives. You are leading your life. You get one life. You are not held hostage by your life. Life is not happening to you. And more than you and I like to acknowledge, our life has so much more to do with our decisions, 
our habits, our choices, our attitudes, our relationships, our motives. So we're going to start out this series with this one big question. Knowing that you get one life and you're leading it, the question is this. Are you living the life that you desire? Is it flourishing? Is it healthy? Is it thriving? Is it bearing fruit, spiritual fruit, love, joy, and peace? Is your life impacting others for good? Is it adding to beauty in the world? Are you a walking example of why people should become Christians? Because this, if you're a follower of Jesus, is what we are supposed to do. This is what our life is supposed to look like. So I want us over the next few weeks, and this is just part one today, to do a little inventory in our hearts, in our lives. It might seem broken, but it can work right. You might just need to address an issue or a problem. You might not need a new one. You might just have a sock stuck in your pump. So as I mentioned earlier, the title of this series comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God instructs his people, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are talking about the whole self. That's what God is referring to when he tells the people, love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For the sake of this series, I'm going to refer to our souls a lot. But our soul is really referring to all of it. Heart, mind, motives. It's really the, the, the whole self, the inner life. Um, I was reading a book by John Ortberg, and he was, uh, he's a, a great author, one of my favorite communicators. One of his spiritual mentors was a man named Dallas Willard who passed away a couple of years ago. And John was talking about uh, a meeting with Dallas Willard where Dallas was describing what the soul is and what the inner life really is. And he talked about it in four rings. And the first, imagine four you know, circles, each one surrounding the circle before it. So the innermost circle, imagine it's your will. It's your will, it's your capacity to choose. God gave us a free will to choose. We can say yes, we can say no. This is what makes us a person instead of a thing. It's our ability to choose. The will is central to us, but it's limited. And I know this, and you know this, because have you ever found yourself doing something or thinking something that went against your will or your values or what you wanted to do? The will is the New Year's resolution that says, I want to do this this year. I'm going to do this this year. But then all of a sudden, three weeks in, you're tired, or you see the donut, or you see the person that makes you angry, and all those New Year's resolutions just go out the window because as much as your will wanted it, it is limited. It's, it's limited. It's hard for your will to overpower habits and attitudes that are ingrained in us and appetites that we have. The second circle, or outside the will, is a second circle called the mind. And in the ancient world, the mind referred to both a person's thoughts and their feelings. So when I talk about the mind, we're talking about how we are conscious of things. Now, we all know that this can be a big problem when something isn't working right. We can want to do something or will to do something, to live a certain way, but the mind so often has a mind of its own. The third circle outside of that is our body. This is our little kingdom. This is how our will and our mind interact with the world, our appetites, our habits. This is how we relate to others in relationships. 
the fourth circle outside of that, so we've got the will, we've got the mind, we've got the body, and outside of all of that is the fourth circle, and that is our soul. The soul is the capacity to integrate all of these other parts into one whole life. The soul wants harmony, connection, integration or integrity, all of these things working together. The soul is the deepest part of you. It's the whole person. It's when God breathed life into man and woman when he created them. That was him breathing into us a soul. So that greatest commandment that we read in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What it means is have your whole person focused on living a full, healthy, God-honoring life. The soul is important. We spend, some of us at least, spend time focusing on the health of our bodies or the health of our minds, thinking about our emotions. But really, the soul is all of it. And it's important. This is why every once in a while we need to do a little inventory of our soul. How is your soul? In Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, Jesus was teaching. And these are words that you maybe have heard before. Jesus says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The soul is important. In 1 Peter 2.11, it says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We read those verses. I used to read those verses and I thought, well, you know, my body's going to do certain things, my mind is going to be a certain way, but as long as I pray and ask for forgiveness so that I'll go to heaven, that means my soul is forgiven and I can go to heaven. Jesus saved my soul so I can go to heaven. But when we read, and that's important, don't get me wrong, but it's misguided, I believe, in how we approach our whole self. Because when we see that our soul is the integration of all of us, mind, body, spirit, emotions, will, and that sin wages war against every part of us, causing the disintegration of our will, our mind, our bodies, our relationships, our emotions. We see how important it is. If your soul is working right, if your soul is healthy, then nothing that comes at us from the outside world will destroy our lives. But if our soul is not working right, if our soul is not healthy, nothing in the outside world can redeem your life. So as we start a new decade, we're going to do a, new, a little bit of inventory on our soul. We're going to take a few weeks and ask some questions. So I'm asking you as you're listening to this today, how is your soul, all of it, your mind, body, will, are you living the life that you want? Or are there areas that you've allowed the world to wage war against your soul? Are there areas of your life that are not working right? Are there areas and habits that you've allowed into your heart that cause things to not work right, and your first response is to say, well, I guess it's just not working right. I guess this is how life is going to be. And instead, you need to realize this is a habit, or this is an act of will, or this is an emotion, or this is something physical. This is something in your soul that you have allowed in, that you have the capacity to make a change, to make an adjustment that would bring great, great fruit 
great results in the years to come. So this is not going to be just about one area of your life. The next few weeks, it's not just going to be about a diet plan or an exercise regimen or a social media fast or a Bible reading plan or learning how to think positive or rest and take a nap. But rather, it's about all of it. It's about the whole person. All of it was designed to work together for us to love God, to flourish, to be healthy, to be thriving, and to benefit others. So we're going to talk about, in addition to other things, what we feed our minds. We're going to talk about rest. We're going to talk about exercise, relationships, community, loneliness, anxiety, isolation. We're going to talk about work, and we're going to talk about play celebration, joy, fun. If you've been around Homestead the last few weeks, I've been saying this. One of the things I want to be a marker for our church this year, especially as we move into a new building and how we use that new building to impact the community, one of the ways is just simply going to be joy, celebration, fun, so that the community that we're in would look around and say, I might not necessarily agree with what they believe or what the Bible says or what they're preaching, But man, they are joyful. They are great people to be around. I love hanging out with them. This is what I want our church to be. In addition to these things, we are going to be talking about Bible reading and prayer. We're going to talk about ways that we can fast as a church over the next month. Committing our hearts to prayer. Committing our hearts to godliness. So what are some of the areas of your whole life that you could be proactive instead of reactive and make some changes in your life to see great results. So this part one of this series is really just an introduction, but I wanted to wrap up part one with just one thought. As we wrap up part one, I wanted to to reiterate this idea or to communicate this idea that every soul needs a center. Every soul needs a center. A healthy soul is inseparable from a relationship with God. A healthy soul is inseparable from a relationship with God. A healthy soul is anchored in knowing that you are created by a loving God. This is the center for your soul. Outside of this, if we miss this, we're going to start searching for meaning, value, significance, purpose, validation, approval. We're going to start trying to answer the question, why am I here? And we're going to be looking in all sorts of other areas, all sorts of things that are not going to lead to a healthy soul. A healthy soul starts and is centered and is, uh, the foundation is based on knowing that you are loved by God, that you have immense value not based on any appearance or achievement or approval of others, not based on any amount of likes that you get on social media, but rather your immeasurable value comes from being made in the image of God. I especially want young people in this, if you're listening to this, and I highlighted our teenagers yesterday when I was preaching this at church. If you're a teenager listening to this, Your worth, your healthy soul, starts in knowing that you are made in the image of God and you are loved by God. And you're not going to find that anywhere else you look.
You're not going to find that in a boyfriend-girlfriend. You're not going to find that in any sort of activity, approval, validation, any achievement, anything that other people you think can give you. They're not going to be able to give you that. And if you spend your life seeking approval and value and worth and significance anywhere else, you will never have a healthy heart, mind, and soul. And young people, I want you to get this because I wish I would have learned this earlier in my life. I'm still learning this. If you can learn this now as a young person, you won't be nearly as messed up as all of us parents are right now. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Now, that last part of the verse, it kind of goes a little weird. Enters the, in, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, like as in the veil or the wall covering. Why are we talking about curtains? Well, anytime you see in the Bible the word curtain or veil, it's probably talking about this idea, that in the temple, in the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' day when the temple was still there, there was the Holy of Holies in the middle of it, and that's where God's presence was. And it was surrounded by a curtain or a veil, where the people could not go in there because the presence of God was too holy, too powerful. People would be killed if they went into the holy of holies. But when Jesus died on the cross, and you read the story, it says this, that the veil was torn, the veil in the temple was torn. That means we now, because of what Jesus has done, has access to this, have access to this relationship with God. We have access to the holy presence of God. So when we read Hebrews 6, 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross, we have access behind the curtain into the presence of God. We have the ability to have a relationship with God. And this is the anchor for our souls. We are no longer tossed around by emotion or feeling or thought or sin or motive. We are no longer tossed around by what other people can say about us or how much they approve or disapprove of us. We are anchored in our soul because of Jesus Christ and this relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. One more thought for you today as we wrap up. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and you will find rest for your soul. A couple of words there that I want to highlight. First, heavy laden, when he says come to you, come to me all of you who are heavy laden, weighed down. Um, the original language of the New Testament was Greek. And so sometimes we look at the original word in Greek and what that meaning was. And the original Greek word, heavy laden, for heavy laden, it meant weighed down, but it also meant burdened. And there was another time where that same Greek word was used, and that was when they were describing the Pharisees, the religious people, the judgmental people, who would always put their rules and their ridicule and their accusation and judgment and defeat on other people. They would say, you're not good enough to be loved by God. You're an outcast. You will never be loved by God because of who you are or what you've done. Defeated. Not freedom, certainly, but a burden. That's where we get that word heavy laden. That's what that word means in the original language. Does that describe your life at all? Just weighed down? Anxious? Depressed? Tired? Hopeless? Jesus says, all of you who feel that way, come to me. You'll find rest for your souls. 
One other word. Come to me, all you who are weary. The Greek word for weary is kapiao. Kapiao. It means working frantically, spinning your wheels, really getting nowhere, just tiring yourself out. Maybe that describes your life. Well, that same Greek word is the word that is used in Matthew 6, 28, when Jesus is talking about, don't worry about all these things that God is going to take care of you. 6, 28 says this of Matthew. Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor. And that word labor is that same Greek word, kapiao. The flowers of the field, they do not kapiao. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed as beautifully as one of these. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't labor. They're not spinning their wheels. They don't kapiao. <laughs> They're not frantic. They're not weary. They are planted. They are anchored. They thrive. They bloom. They are nourished. They bring beauty to everyone around them. What a great thought. This is what Jesus invites us into. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. What area of your soul needs an adjustment? And even as we wrap up this first part, take some time and just ask those questions. Allow the Spirit of God to kind of invade your heart and your mind and your soul and point out some areas. Yeah, you know it's not working right in this area. You know this part of your, whole, your heart or yourself or your, your soul, your whole self, needs adjustment, needs a correction. You know there's a habit of thought. You know there's an attitude or a bitterness or unforgiveness. These are the things that Jesus wants to come in. Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's just you fill your mind and your body with garbage every day and you wonder why you're feeling this way. Maybe some of the things that are causing you to feel anxious. Maybe some of the ways that you are medicating or trying to distract yourself from your anxiousness are the very things that are causing you to feel anxious. So this is going to look different for everybody listening to this. Everybody in our church is going to have different answers to this. But is there something, as we start a new year and a new decade, where you would say, Jesus, I want victory here. I want to bring about a correction here. I want to change my habit of thinking or my attitudes. I want rest for my soul. I want a healthy soul. I want a thriving soul. So let me pray for you as we wrap up. Dear Jesus, I pray for all the people who are listening to this today that you would bring rest to our souls. We want to be healthy, thriving people, followers of you. We don't want any area of our life to bring about death to our souls, destruction, anxiety. We want all of these things to be laid down at the foot of the cross and for you to bring wholeness and health, a flourishing soul. We want that, Lord. I pray that you would do that in every heart, and I pray that you would speak to everybody listening specific ways that we can make some adjustments, bring some things to you, and allow you to bring new life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.